Welcome to another episode of the Emerging Litigation Podcast. I'm Tom Hagee. Actually, that was kind of presumptuous. That's assuming you have listened to anything uh, we've ever done. But I'm going to assume that. I'm going to be optimistic. This is Tom Hagee with HB Litigation Conferences. As always, I'm doing this in collaboration with the Fast Case Legal Research Service, which also features Docket Alarm and other great, uh, great Bennies. Bennies is short for benefits. Also doing that with... Uh, with their sister company, Law Street Media, which is a great online news service. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the pandemic, but through the lens of employment law. Specifically, we're going to discuss the whole remote working arrangement many of us are enjoying, as well as the employer's handling of the vaccination program as it rolls out across the country in, uh, I don't know, with mixed reviews. But it's rolling out finally, and I think we can all be thankful for that. So with so many people working from home, that gives uh, employers uh, and employees fresh new ways to get in trouble uh, in the workplace, which uh, the workplace now includes sometimes a corner of your home <laughs> uh, uh, where, they, where you may meet or invite colleagues and customers remotely, sometimes via webcams and chat boxes. For all of us uh, who chastise our children for too much video chatting and texting, well, this is now us. Some people like it more than others. Uh, There's a great survey by uh, PwC. It is their U.S. Remote Work Survey. So I recommend you take a look at that. It makes some interesting findings. Uh, People are finding they are more productive. And that's the same for workers and executives. They say... They say this, these results dispel any concerns the skeptics might have had about working from home. You know, a lot of uh, folks thought it would be less effective, but it's just not the case. Uh, but it also calls out some ways to accomplish uh, improved productivity. So I recommend it again. That's the PWC survey uh, on remote work. According to PWC, uh, 60% of executives expect to raise spending or increase spending on virtual collaboration tools and manager training, which I think uh, that's going to be wise because I think a lot of companies are finding, hey, we really like this. In some cases, you don't have to spend as much on office space, I suppose. I don't suppose. I know. I'm one of them. Uh, half, half of those plan to invest in hybrid support models like hoteling apps and communal office space. Let's see, PwC goes on to note, though, that there's a big gap between employers and employees when it comes to child care benefits. Uh, 81% of executives say they've been successful in extending benefits for child care. But wait, uh, only 45% of employees say that. And women are 10 points more likely to be unhappy with the child care arrangements and um, I've witnessed that on a lot of my calls, and I mentioned that during this, this podcast, that it does seem like, well, let's just go on to another one. Brookings, the Brookings uh, study, uh, or it's a, not a study, it's an article. It's called Why COVID-19 Has Been Especially Harmful for Working Women. Uh, it's an article written by uh, Brookings research analyst Nicole Bateman and senior fellow Martha Ross. In a nutshell, uh, COVID's been harmful for working women 
because the U.S. economy is hard on women. And the virus, quote, excels at taking existing tensions and ratcheting them up. So a lot of the stuff that was already going on before COVID just made it worse and uh, put a bright light on it. I'm just going to read one quick paragraph. According to the authors, Nicole Bateman and Martha Ross at Brookings, millions of women were already supporting themselves and their families on meager wages before coronavirus mitigation lockdowns sent unemployment rates skyrocketing and millions of jobs disappeared. And working mothers were already shouldering the majority of family caregiving responsibilities in the face of a childcare system that is wholly inadequate for a society in which most parents work outside the home. Of course, the disruptions of daycare centers, schools, and after-school programs have been hard on working fathers. But evidence shows working mothers have taken on more of the resulting child care responsibilities and are more frequently reducing their hours or leaving their jobs entirely in response, end quote. And that is a loss. That is a major loss of talent. Um, speaking of talent, <laughs> that's a subway. Subway? That's a, that is not a subway at all. That was a segue. Uh, Stephanie C. Schwartz is uh, an attorney at, well, her new firm, where she is co-founder of Hatfield Schwartz Law. And you can learn more about Stephanie and her firm's practice at HatfieldSchwartzLaw.com. She has devoted her legal career to representing employers in all aspects of employment law. Everyone knows that's... Things like discrimination, harassment, retaliation, wrongful termination. She's a leading practitioner in the field whose advice is often sought. And uh, now her insights have been sought for this podcast. She also will have an article in the next issue of the new Journal on Emerging Issues in Litigation, which I am happy to serve as editor-in-chief. That is a companion production to this podcast, and both are also produced by my company, HP Litigation Conferences, in collaboration with Fastcase and Law Street Media. Uh, Stephanie has represented hundreds of clients in state and federal court proceedings, arbitration proceedings, and before administrative agencies like the EEOC and the New Jersey Division on Civil Rights. She's motivated by more than professional accolades, and she has many, and she is dedicated to uh, supporting women. Um, for those of you with affection for your alma maters, Stephanie has a BA from Gettysburg College, an MPA from Rutgers University, and uh, her JD from Rutgers Law School. Go Scarlet Knights. With that, I am going to dive into the, uh, the interview, and I have no segue. And you will see, I just jump right into it, and you can listen to, um, let's see, she had, a, she had a visit by her dog during, the, uh, during this, so you can listen for that. And you can hear about what questions she gets daily from her clients, and uh, she has a story about a bakery. Yeah, hope you enjoy it. With regard to uh, remote work, if uh, an employer grants an employee uh, a remote work option, what processes need to be implemented to ensure that the work is actually being performed? Right. So I think that um, employers should 
think through the particulars on how in each employee um, is going to be expected to work, uh, when they're expected to work, um, and how their performance is going to be judged um, at home. And so it's almost, it's almost like they need to take a look at their um, policies and procedures um, and revise them a bit to make sure that it is addressing um, employees uh, working from home. Not every employer has the capability to monitor, um, you know, the, the, the computer being turned on and off and when they're working and how many widgets they're making. So it, it's based on trust and it's based upon uh, a trust factor that employers have with their employees that they are, in fact, taking on their responsibilities just in a different location. So I think setting forth everyone's expectations early on, uh, whether it is uh, in a supplement uh, to the handbook and a policy is important, I think, to, to govern the expectations of uh, what you expect from your employees. Um, we all know that when we're at home working, there, there may be a dog barking, uh, a cat might jump on someone's lap. Uh, we all heard the screaming child. Um, and those are things that are going to happen. And I think everyone, the employer, needs to be a little bit more accepted of that. And the employee has to know that it's, it's also not their time um, to, to watch the child. Instead, they need to be working during working hours. And so I think that it's important uh, when that first option becomes available, that everyone is clear with their expectations, uh, whether um, it is verbally set first and then it is put down in writing. Um, because I think everyone understands that um, working remotely, although there may be some struggles, I think that we probably will see that the amount of work that gets done. We don't have commuting anymore. People are not um, a little apprehensive of coming into the workplace because of COVID. Uh, they're actually getting their work done uh, and they're getting their work done in a, in a good, timely manner. So um, I think that, you know, again, not remote's not for everyone. I just, you know, I think that the remote work option is not for the entire workforce. There are some people that cannot do their job working remotely, um, but there are there are some that can, and I think that uh, the employer should take advantage of employees um, working from home with just maintaining the guidelines uh, and maintaining the structure um, right. uh, for of their business. Yeah, it seems that. Um yeah, like as you said, that raises a couple of questions from my standpoint. If I had somebody who'd worked for me for many years and I knew their work ethic and everything, I'd have no doubt about it. But if I had more of an entry-level person who, not that I wouldn't trust them, but sometimes there's just a lot of uh, management opportunities you get when someone's on site. So you, you kind of lose that. So uh, you might have situations where, one one employee you might say yes to, and another one you might say no to, and they may be doing exactly the same job. So I don't know how you address that. It just is what it is, uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, you can um, an accommod working remote can be an accommodation. Not everyone though has to be accommodated. So if these two people are in the same situation and they do not need the accommodation to work remotely, but instead the employer is going to permit them to work remotely, um, you can. Um, there's there's no nothing that says the employer can't pick and choose of who can work remote or who not. Um, look, I think with the, you're absolutely right. The the harder is the new employee or the employee that you don't have that long standing relationship with. But but an employer can 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 have check ins. Uh, an employer could make sure you know make sure that you know uh, there is um, uh, the 
the employee is is on remote access by having a Teams call or having a Zoom call, seeing their work product, maybe taking their work product, um, maybe not at the end of the month, but maybe at the end of the week, uh, maybe have, having more check-ins. Um, so I think that, again, though, not everyone in not everyone has to be accommodated by working remote. Um, we had many, uh, initially, many employees um, came up with um, uh, their their idea was, I need an accommodation and I need to work remote. Um, but if they didn't have medical certification to back up that accommodation, the employer is not required um, to have them work remote. So again, it is, it is the employer's prerogative. Right. Well, how, how can you... How can you impl- monitor uh, performance? I mean, you said things like check-ins and team calls. Um, what what other mechanisms are out there? You can see if somebody's logged in. You can see if somebody's typing. I suppose you could put, you know, like they were doing with the the ballot counting. You just have a camera on everyone. Uh, so, what what would you recommend, or what are you seeing out there? I'm seeing a lot of employers having more than one supervisor mm-hmm. um, have check-ins. So the onerous doesn't fall on one person so that they are working more of in a collaborative nature than standalone. Um, so that again, so that everyone is kind of, um, checking in with each other and, and, and making sure that the responsibility doesn't just fall on one person. Um, I see, I see a lot of that. Um, I see a lot of, um, more report writing, um, mm. you know, giving the reports at the end of the week and, and then checking again on Monday so that they see what the employee is doing. Um, but you know, look, you'll know if your employer, if your employee is not doing the work that they need to get done right. because they're going to be missing the deadlines that you, that you gave them. Right. And again, I, I think that working remote, it doesn't have to be forever. It's not indefinite. I mean, you could say, I'm going to try uh, to see if this uh, working remote uh, help is, is acceptable, and we're going to check back in sixty days. Um, but and 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 I also uh, have seen a lot of employers do alternate work weeks, so not everyone is in the place of employment all at the same time, so they're not filled one hundred percent to capacity. Um, and I think that also makes people feel safe that they are working from home one week and then they're working in the office for the next week. And again, you know, in between that. Uh, the employer must take responsibility to make sure that they disinfect and they clean and all the safety precautions are there until, um, you know, until there's there's a vaccine or, you know, uh, until everyone feels safe with COVID. Yeah, I really like that solution. As a, I used, as, when I managed a, a newsroom, um, I knew that s- some of the writing we did, it was legal. So a lot of times people were kind of heads down reading, <laughs> you know, reading court decisions and briefs and, or their notes and, they didn't need to collaborate. It was very a it's a it's a it's a one person job. But then there are other times when it's helpful to hear each other on the phones or to ask questions quickly. So I, I do like the idea of some mix. And and if you have alternate weeks, that also means there are fewer people there at once. As you said, they can sanitize, but people can also sit further apart. So um, that seems like a that seems like a good solution if people have that that capability. Yeah, agree. Yep, absolutely. And I know, and I know you can't put you can't put everything in writing, uh, in in agreements. It just seems like that for some things, it's just gonna there's gonna have to be more flexibility. I mean, I'm thinking about things like um, you assume people are going to be professional 
when they're with customers on Zoom meetings or whatever, and you you make all these assumptions, but I don't. Um, and and so, for example, you know, do, do people wear ties? Are they responsible for what's in the background uh, on the on the camera? Is it does it need to be cleaned up and and professional or or what? Um, but I guess a lot of it is just. Uh, manage your discretion and and counting on the trust of professionals, I suppose. You know, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that it should be put in writing. I I do think that the expectations of how people should act on remote access should be put in writing because Mm -hmm. this is a new world for a lot of people. And so I think that it it is smart on the employer's part to put in writing as to what their expectations and requirements are, um, whether it be what, you know, your dress code. Um, You know, we've heard horror stories on how, you know, people are not appropriately dressed on a Zoom call and they stand up and, you know, the entire, uh, the audience on Zoom sees uh, him or her. Um, You know, whether it's, whether uh, your background uh, is something that's appropriate um, for the professional world. So I do think that, um, look, you're not going to identify everything, but I do think that making a policy out there that for illustrative purposes only, you could say, here's what our requirements are, here's our expectations, because if you don't put it in writing, then, um, and if someone claims that, you know, um, John was on the Zoom call and he was inappropriately addressed or he made an inappropriate comment, how do you address that, John? Right. You know, John can come back and say, um, well, I was never told. I'd rather make sure that everyone understands um, what the requirements are. And, you know, uh, I, I do think that there's going to be some um, harassment claims that come out of the virtual meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it doesn't matter if you're sitting in the same room with someone or you're dealing with them over the Internet, uh, you could still harass someone. And uh, if an employee harasses uh, a coworker and the employer does nothing about it, the same liability is going to attach whether it was within the four square walls. Okay. So, uh, so you advocate then for managers to take a look at what, what their expectations are for, for working from home and how to appear and sound professional. Um, and that makes, uh, that makes good sense uh, to have it there. I just imagine trying to write that, but um, I, I don't know. You suppose uh, there probably is already some boilerplate out there, but, it probably wouldn't take much for an employer to come up with those kinds of things. Where would where would they start writing something like these? Are there online policies, or or should they work with HR or their employment attorney or all of the above? Uh, you know, look, I think a good a good place to start is always the internet. But I I never take what the internet says and and use that as a as a form or a template because it should be modified um, to meet the culture and the expectations of specific. Uh, employers. Right. So working with HR, working with counsel, um, just to make sure that there's a general policy. And it's a general policy concerning working working remote. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it can be an addendum to the handbook. Every every employer should have a handbook. Um, and if they don't, they, they definitely need one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you, you have the right to um, make addendums or make additional policies, and this should be one of them. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it's as, as, that difficult to write. I think that, um, you know, initially it's just really of the general expectations and what you and I might think is common sense. Isn't that better to have it in writing? So everyone knows. Um, so no one can say that you were informed, um, or given the opportunity to read it. 
Um, so employees know, and employees know that there is a, you know, again, a zero tolerance for, you know, any harassment or zero tolerance for any discrimination that take place across, you know, we'll use Zoom, for example, um, that the Zoom is just an extension of the workplace. Um, so just be, they need to be mindful of that. Um, and that, again, I think goes to conduct, goes to dress, goes to comments. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if the statistics show that more people are going to be working remote, whether it's 100% of the time or 50% of the time, um, we're going to need to address it. And uh, having a policy is better than not having one at all. Right. Okay. Because I have also seen... Uh, I've seen times where, and let's and let's just face it, a lot of times when I'm on calls, it does seem to off more often fall on women in a in a family to have primary, you know, uh, childcare responsibility, uh, like it or not. Um, it does seem, it's, at least in my experience, when I'm on calls, if I'm going to hear children um, or see children running in the background, it's going to be with a a woman professional, and and um, it, it seems that that happens more often than not. Are you seeing that? Is it does it seem like that's still falling more to, uh, on women to to work and mind children? Uh, sad to say, yes, I, I do think that women are juggling both the childcare and the professional aspect. Um, again, you know, I think just um, reminding people that during the workday, while there will be times that um, you may need to take a pause and take care of, um, whether it's some, something in the house or, or, you know, the doorbell rings and a vendor comes so, or the child runs through the, through the room. Uh, again, I don't, I, that's, that's the exception. It's not going to happen regularly. And I don't, and, and that's not going to be um, a basis for harassment or discrimination, which is what concerns me the most. Mm-hmm. I think everyone realizes that you know, the dog barking when the doorbell rings or the, the child running into the room. It's just really a matter of course now. Um, yep. Do I think that, um, and, and it's acceptable. Uh, you know, it's, it's not acceptable if it's happening every day, uh, but we all have gotten used to it and we all, um, you know, have, it ha- have, have had it happen to us. What I, what I don't want is when it affects other employees and when a liability can attach the employer. That's what concerns me the most. Right. And that's why I think the policy should be out there. And there should be some, you know, again, it's an extension of the anti-harassment, anti-discrimination policies that each employer should already have. <laughs> for, for my part, during a long day, if somebody wants to pop their, uh, their baby or their dog into the frame, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> the, um... <laughs> me, me too, but but you know there are but but if you know there are some there are some customers out there and clients that want hundred percent attention Absolutely. and don't want that distraction distraction. But you know the the employees, I think they all understand that, and and I and I think that most in, many many employees. Let me say it this way: many employees like the option from working from home. Yeah. Um, and so I think that they will be as professional as they can be in every circumstance um, so that they can continue to have that option. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm thinking more of internal meetings. I wouldn't say if you're on like settlement talks in a, in a case. Um, yeah. I don't, you know, you've got your chihuahua. I think that's bad form. The, um, yeah. so the, well, what, what you mentioned uh, the, the harassment and discrimination are there, 
Have you seen any cases recently where that seems to be more of an issue because of remote or, or not? I have seen, um, yes, I have. I've seen more discrimination cases than harassment cases um, that have cropped up most recently. Um, I think people um, have, there are claims out there that people are being treated differently mm -hmm. um, because of a protected class that they're in. Um, and uh, whether it is working remotely, given access to certain um, uh, uh, technology uh, for the house, um, so I, those are some of the claims that I have, have recently seen. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am, I believe that the, um, the harassment claims, um, will, will rise, um, as we move forward. I think, um, COVID hit, uh, I think a lot of, uh, the courts and litigation slowed down. Um, don't want to say that it came to a, halt, a screeching halt, but I think that the, the litigation, um, the claims um, became it, it was it was slow, um, and but I think now that um, people are getting vaccinated, more people are going back to work, more people are trying to um, do what they used to do in early 2020. I do think that um, the harassment claims and litigation um, are going to continue to be on the rise. Okay. All right, and then, well. Why don't we jump off from that? Because you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the vaccine. Is there anything else you'd want to say? I, Go ahead. Actually, yeah, I just want to say one more thing, Tom, yeah. which I think is important. So, um, you know, what we didn't talk about is what happens, you know, if there is a claim, and um, how do you conduct that workplace investigation? Do you conduct a workplace investigation? And the answer is absolutely, you have to, right? You have to. You are held to the same standard to conduct a workplace investigation on Zoom uh, or remote act remotely than you would if it's in person. So I just think it's very important that the that the moment a complaint is uh, is 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 filed, whether it be verbally or or written, uh, that the HR um, or the 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 person that's responsible for taking uh, the complaint uh, and handling it internally. Um, does exactly that, whether they're going to conduct the workplace investigation or um, outsource it to employment counsel, um, because just because it's happening, and this is why I think it, this is this is why I think there are going to be claims in the future, because complaints are now coming in, and if no one, if people sit and don't do anything about it, that's when the complaint's going to be filed. Again, a good workplace investigation can limit the exposure of employers and limit the liability of employers. Um, so I just want everyone to take, take make sure that any complaint that they receive, they take it seriously, and they, they, they conduct a thorough uh, and a prompt investigation, just like you would if you were in person. Okay, so so a communication to employee. I don't know if I had to think of it as an employee. I would think if it's business hours and I'm on and and I'm at my desk, I'm basically at the office. Period. And and uh, all the same rules would apply. I would think that would seem like a good rule of thumb uh, from an employee standpoint. That'd be. That would be a that would be a great policy, a one sentence <laughs> policy, yeah. and that's all you need. But I, but I do think that you know you just you need to re, you need to remind everyone. And look, I you know sometimes I put the litigator hat on, and I think to myself, you know, would a judge look at me and say, well, what did what did your client do, Ms. Schwartz? And did they ever communicate those expectations? And I just want to be able to say yes. Um, in fact, they had a they had a one sentence that said. 
even though you're home, you're really in the office, period. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it. The more the, the more specific you can be, the better. I would think even, especially if you have a larger workforce, if you have two or three people in your company, it's one thing, you should still have it. But if you've got a thousand people and they're all working from home, yeah, it sounds to me like, uh, it sounds to me like I'd want everything buttoned up and yes. clear. Agreed. Well, let's talk about the, the vaccine um, because uh, obviously the reason a lot of people are working from home is the, uh, is the, is the pandemic. So, so what, what can you tell me about employers and employees? Can employers, first of all, can they require employees to get a vaccine? What is that sound right on cue? <laughs> Maybe my dog coming into the office, <laughs> opening the door. Perfect. <laughs> it's almost, See, we all have it. Yeah, we all have it. Maybe this is too broad of a question, but can can employers legally require employees to get a vaccine, or is it too soon to to say? It's, it's actually a, a very interesting question because I think though you know though, that's that is the one question that I am getting daily. I think many employers are recommending the vaccine at this point, and they're not requiring it because they are con- concerned with the vaccine, A, not being available to everyone, and that the vaccine has yet um, to run through the process of the FDA. Um, but I do believe that by fall, every the employers will be requiring the vaccine for the uh, all their employees. It's a slow process. I think the, most of the employers are first uh, recommending it, uh, and they will soon be requiring it. I had a, a, a real-life experience where somebody I know who works in a, in a school system, her husband tested positive for COVID. Okay. And so she was not going to go to work, um, and the front line, first-line supervisor said, no, just come on in. And and she was, you know, she's earlier in her career. She's like, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. Couldn't I be transmitting it to kids? And so she, she but she went in and didn't want to lose her job. And then then the second line, her boss's boss said, what is she doing here? <laughs> right. So so I guess there's going to be some decisions that people have to make about, you know, when somebody does test positive, what, what, what do you tell them? Are you getting those questions too? I am, and so the, the C, look. The CDC co- constantly comes out with guidelines, uh, and they change every day. They change. Um, now they're saying that e- even if you come in contact with someone, I believe you still have to quarantine for the fourteen days. I think that uh, in, in employers, and then, and then the question let's continue. It says, okay, now I make someone quarantine. Do I have to pay them? Um, because they're not, they don't have any symptoms, they don't have COVID, but um, they came in contact with someone, do I have to pay them? And those are, you know, again, those are very fact-specific questions. I think employers should uh, take a look at their policies. They should treat everyone the same. The answer isn't always yes, they have to pay the employees. Um, So I think it depends on the place of employment. I think it depends on the size of the organization, what the organization does. There are some people that you could say stay home, but now you're going to work remotely for those 14 days. Um, and we're going to set you up. And, you know, and even even if as a teacher, she could work remotely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so 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 I'm getting all, all those questions. Um, I think the the 
the, the general answer is if the employee is going to pose a direct threat to the health and safety of other employees, then they need to stay home because you have to look at the general work, workforce uh, and everyone else uh, that she may or may not come in contact with uh, in the place of employment. Right. And that's how we judge it. And, and again, I think, you know, the, I work with my, my clients. Every client is different. Every client has a different perspective about whether that person should be home for five days, 14 days, 10 days. Um, you know, the guidance does change. Uh, my client has, you know, has there been my clients have sent its employees to get tested. They paid for it. Uh, they paid for the day uh, and they paid for the test because they want to know. And then when uh, if it comes back negative, they ask the employee to come back. So there are ways that certainly um, each employer can deal with its employees. It is a, a fact-sensitive issue that needs to be addressed in a, in a manner that treats everyone the same so we don't see any discrimination claims unfolding and that ensures the safety of uh, other workers. So there are cases uh, when uh, the vaccination, where the employee may have religious reasons or other reasons not to take a, a vaccination, um, even though, the, so you're saying a lot of your, your folks you know are recommending but not requiring, and you can't require it, especially if you can't even get the vaccine right now. But uh, how do you handle the religious aspects or other other reasons for exemptions? So I think the two the two reasons for exemptions will be exactly that will be both um, an underlying medical condition or a sincerely held religious belief that prevents the employee from receiving the vaccine. They would be entitled to an exemption uh, from the vaccine uh, as as what is called a reasonable accommodation, obviously barring an undue hardship to the employer. So if an employee is going to request an exemption from the vaccine, uh, the employer um, must engage in the interactive process, so similar to other claims for requests for accommodation. Um, and the interactive process um, is, is, is a meeting um, with the employee and with either HR. Um, I always recommend having someone else there, so two people from the uh, employer side and the employee, um, to talk about whether the exemption can be a reasonable accommodation and whether that it can be made. If not, uh, the employer, if there is no reasonable accommodation that can be made, then the employer must work with the employee to determine if there's other reasonable accommodations that can be made, you know, additional PPE, adjusted schedules, I don't know, telecommuting, job transfers, whatever it might be, um, if in fact uh, they would fall under the exemptions for either medical or a sincerely held religious belief. I think that there may be some situations that, all of a sudden you come to learn that someone has a, you know, a religious belief that prevents them from getting the vaccine. And you, uh, as the employer, never, never knew that the employee um, had such a sincere belief. You're allowed to probe. You're allowed to ask questions during that reasonable accommodation to see whether or not they, they do fall under the exceptions. Um, you don't have to you know, necessarily take their word for it because they say, just because I said so, um, you're allowed to probe, you're allowed to ask questions, you know, being very cautious and careful uh, not to infringe upon any of their rights. There may be some people that will use it as an excuse 
because they don't want to get the vaccine and when they maybe don't necessarily have that sincerely held religious belief. So as an employer, just like with um, uh, an employee asking for an accommodation because of a medical condition, right. uh, you're allowed to ask specific questions without, you know, obviously uh, infringing upon any of their privacy rights. What about in the, the retail or hospitality industry? How do, how do those employers deal with customers? Deal with customers coming th- through the through the doors, requiring masks, um, again, imposing, I think, and making sure that there's other infection control measures um, that are available to, to the people that walk through the door, um, whether it's providing disposable masks, um, making sure that there's hand sanitizer. Um, you know, I think that that is a good practice that everyone should have, uh, making sure that this, you know, there are there are signs reminding everyone stand, to stand at least six feet apart, uh, reminding people um, if there's too many people that are congregating in one area to separate. Um, so I think that's how the hospitality industry should react. And because, again, there are ways that um, they can make sure that everyone stays safe because they, too, have to you know, concentrate on their employees, uh, make sure their employees are staying, feeling safe and staying safe uh, while hopefully still maintaining um, their doors are open and their business is, is going to be viable. Yeah, I really feel for uh, I feel for the owners of those shops and I feel for the employees who have to enforce rules. If you get a belligerent customer, I mean, they always have to enforce some rules anyway, but this, um, like wearing masks has become a very, I don't know, very a hot button issue for some people. Uh, so being an employee who says, I'm sorry, you can't come in, unless you wear a mask, then they might be confronted with somebody who's aggressive or belligerent. It just seems like a, seems like a lose-lose for some employees if, uh, if, if they're left to uh, police the behavior of, of their customers. I'm not going to disagree with you. I just don't know if there's anything else that we can do because if people aren't responsible by following the guidelines right. um, and they choose not to, uh, you know, there has to be someone that just reminds them. Uh, hopefully people look around and, and recognize that it's really just not about themselves. I saw yesterday, uh, I was uh, in a bakery, uh, and I saw a woman forget her mask, and so she put her hand over her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> she said, Perfect. I forgot my mask. Uh, and and so I, I actually the bakery um, and again as you, you know you said you know the the woman behind the counter said here's our disposable mask please put one on uh, and she did uh, and but I didn't know I, I was I was unclear of why she didn't have a mask on in the first place I mean yes we all forget our mask and we all run back to our car or run back to the house um, because we forget the mask um, but she. Uh, I, I thought to myself, how is this, how's this going to end? Um, but fortunately, that's <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I would think that, you know, baking consumers would be a gentler people. Um, you're going in to pick up blueberry muffins. You know what I mean? It's not like you're in a gun shop or something. <laughs> true. true. Or just, just, just tape a croissant on that face. Just something. Uh, yeah, but the, the hand over the mouth doesn't quite do it. The hand over the mouth. Yeah, employees will have to monitor the situation over the next couple of months um, because I think there'll be a lot of changes. There'll be guidance from uh, the CDC, the EEOC, um, so that they can uh, develop and formulate policies moving forward 
um, that will be uh, lawful uh, and that won't infringe upon employees' rights um, and so that they will not see um, an, an upsurge of, of lawsuits. Um, so I think that it's important, you know, for uh, the HR manager, uh, employment counsel um, to review um, daily um, all the the guidance that comes out because it's it's a moving target, you know. And, and I remember when, uh, you know, the spring, I'm sure we're all in the same boat. They, just, they kept moving the goalposts, as we would say. And every day we would wake up to, you know, a new executive order or new guidance. Um, and I think it is just that. It's guidance. Um, but I think it's helpful to follow it so that um, em- employers at the end of the day can, um, you know, limit uh, any exposure uh, that they may have in the future. With all of that, what should employers do now going forward to mitigate risk? You know, what resources should they be paying attention to um, going forward, as I said, to mitigate risk of, uh, of liability in this area? Engage uh, and surround themselves with professionals that have been uh, listening to um, uh, the guidelines and reading the guidelines um, out there when it comes to dealing with employees. And the professionals can be HR professionals, employment counsel, making sure that they understand what their um, what what their uh, role is as employers. Um, and if there's any questions, is to to seek guidance from from counsel. You know, I'm I am a big believer in asking the questions first rather than um, acting, um, because although although lawyers um, do charge an hourly rate, it's better to get their good counseling than to be a defendant in a lawsuit because litigation is costly, um, it is time-consuming, uh, and it is emotionally draining. Um, so to, it is better to avoid litigation and to ask the questions of a good counselor of what, that, what should be done um, to best protect the place of, a, of employment and to mitigate the risk of the employers. Okay. I think that wraps it up. So, Stephanie, it's good to talk to you today. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate everything. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Once again, you've been listening to Stephanie Schwartz, an employment lawyer in New Jersey with Hatfield Schwartz. You can read more about Stephanie and her practice at HatfieldSchwartzLaw.com. Once again, uh, this has been the Emerging Litigation Podcast. It's a co-production of Fast Case and Law Street Media, and my company, HB Litigation Conferences. I'm Tom Hagee with HB. Thank you for listening today. Can I, can I take that part again? And I'll, I'll ask a, a question that leads in, and you can take it one more time so I have an option of two ways that you explained it. Of course. <laughs> Well, obviously, I'll edit this part out. Um, <laughs> we'll put it in the. You're uh, asking me a question. <laughs> yes. I'm talking to you. Yes. <laughs>